Well, you know, every fairy tale, every children's story typically begins in one way and ends in a different way, and it's always the same ways. Children's stories often begin with these words, once upon a time. And when you establish a beginning, once upon a time, then the story begins to unfold in whatever the story or the fairy tale is. And when you come to the conclusion of the events or the details of that particular story, then they will often end with, and they lived, can you say it with me, happily ever after. That's a wonderful prospect, isn't it, to live happily ever after. But all of us know that fairy tales and children's stories are not real life. It doesn't always work out that way. And all of us understand that in many ways, the possibility, the likelihood that we will live happily ever after is often tied to the ways in which we live having begun once upon a time. You see, the, the decisions that we make and the choices that we, that we make and the ways in which we build family and build our lives together oftentimes are going to have a dramatic, well, always those things are going to have a dramatic impact on whether or not we live happily ever after. So let me ask you a question. Does your family feel like a happily ever after story right now? Now for some of us, we know things occur in life that are totally outside of our circumstances and we have nothing to do with those things and they're just life events in a fallen world. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you in the way in which you have built or are building your family, would you say we are living and we are likely to always live happily ever after? We all dream that we will, and oftentimes we do, but many times families don't have that experience as well. And so the question is, how can we build a family? Or how can we rebuild a family that will have the greatest likelihood of having this experience of joy and fulfillment and what the fairy tales call happily ever after? Well, the answer to that question is that we can build that family only if we build it according to God's blueprint. And so let me welcome you into this new teaching series that we're calling Blueprint, but we're thinking together about the house that wisdom built, the house that wisdom built. And over the next few weeks, we are going to talk about how we can build or rebuild family life according to God's blueprint. We're going to find that blueprint faithfully delivered to us in the pages of God's Word and specifically in the book of Proverbs. And we're going to find, I'm convinced, a divine building plan, a set of construction documents, if you will, that have been put together by the master architect of the family who has taught us, guided us, instructed us on how it is that we can build this kind of family. We don't want to launch out into family life building without a plan. 
Many people step into family life, they don't even really have any clue where to begin. Maybe they haven't been given good teaching or good advice, or maybe it wasn't modeled well for them, and they just do the best they can with what they've got, and they don't really know where to start. Many times people build their families on faulty foundations, on falsehoods, things that simply are not true and that will never bring a place of home, of a home place of peace and of joy. So we're going to look to God's blueprint, God's plan. Now, let me tell you what we're going to do, how this is going to unfold over these next few weeks. Today, I just want to introduce this idea to you and sort of orient us to um, this idea of building a family according to God's blueprint. Then for the next two Sundays, we're going to spend some time laying a foundation. If you've ever built a house, you know the most important thing you do is in the foundation. It's in the ground. And we're going to talk about laying the right kind a foundation, or maybe your foundation was laid a long time ago, and so you need to perhaps rebuild or repair the foundation that has been laid. Maybe you've seen some cracks forming in the foundation, or one of, one corner settling, and you're seeing some some uh, you know doors that won't open and some cracks in the sheetrock. We need to work on the foundation. So we're, we're going to talk about that for two Sundays. And then we're going to spend four Sundays talking about all of the aspects of family life and how we can build those aspects into our families with great intentionality and great purpose. And then we'll conclude in the final week, eight weeks from, from today, we'll conclude in that final week by talking about growing old in family life and finishing, finishing family life well. And so that's what our plan is going to be in the coming weeks. I said that I want to introduce this idea to you today, so can we begin at the most basic level? Let's talk about God's definition of a family. We're going to see this in a couple of different aspects, and so write the first one down, and then we'll see it in the scriptures. Let's begin by talking about the nuclear family. The nuclear family. This is the family created by God. You should understand that God is the architect of the family. The family is the very first institution that God ever gave to the human family, to creation. And he has determined what family is or how it looks. I'm going to ask you to turn with me all the way back to the very first chapter of the Bible. Go to Genesis chapter number 1 and let's look at God's establishing of the nuclear family. So Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. If you don't know where Genesis is, go to the front cover and you'll find it. First book in your Bible, Genesis 1 verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion let them have dominion, underline that phrase, let them have dominion. The word dominion means governance or stewardship. Let them steward or govern over all of creation. Fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. God said, I'm going to create man. I'm going to give governance over my creation to man. Verse 27. So God created Man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So you have the creation of the human family, you have the distinction of male and female, 
there are, can I just get a witness? There are two genders, amen? There's a male and a female, and he said, this is how I have created humanity. I'm going to give to this man and woman, to, creation, uh, to uh, the human family, I'm going to give them stewardship over creation. Keep reading verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply, and replenish, or fill the earth, and subdue it. There's another word related to governance and stewardship. Subdue it and have dominion, again, over the fish, the fowl, the air, and everything that moves upon the earth. God said, here's the nuclear family. It is one man and one woman, um, and those children that that man and woman may produce, and in that nuclear family, I am going to exhort or exert my authority through that family or those families over all of my creation. This speaks to the, the form of the nuclear family, a man and a woman and whatever children they produce, and the purpose of the family, which is to carry out the, the glory of God, the authority of God, the rule of God in creation, in the earth. That is the definition of a nuclear family, a man and a woman joined together and whatever children they might produce. Now, I want you to skip over to chapter number 2 and verse number 24. Listen to what that verse says. It says, uh, God speaking, but Adam, uh, well, Adam speaking, uh, conveying the, uh, the uh, plan of God. Verse 24, therefore, Adam says, shall a man leave his father and his mother. There's the nuclear family. A man, his father, and his mother. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother, and he shall cleave unto his wife. And they, those two, shall become one flesh. So the nuclear family is formed. This is very basic. You all know this. When a man and a woman have a child, a son, and then over here another man and a woman have a daughter, and that man leaves his father and his mother, and that woman leaves her father and mother, they're joined together. That forms a new nuclear family and then whatever children they may produce. And then so on and so on and so on. And this is the way that the earth is to be filled, replenished, and, uh, and for God's dominion to be exercised through, over creation, through his human family. Now that's the nuclear family, but you see in chapter 2, verse number 24, that, that once two nuclear families create and produce a third nuclear family, and beyond that, you then have another dynamic, another aspect of family life, which is, write it down, the extended family. Because when one nuclear family is created from a man and a woman, it doesn't mean that there's no longer any connection with that mother and that father. Chapter 2, verse 24 is not a command to break contact with mother and father. When it says, leave mother and father, cleave to his wife, uh, it doesn't mean that we no longer have contact with that extended family. In fact, the Bible tells us very differently than that. This extended family speaks to grandparents and ultimately aunts and uncles and others, ancestors even, if you will, uh, that make up our extended family. The extended family is beautiful for two reasons, two great functions within the extended family. One is influence, and the second is care, influence and care. Let me show you Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 9. Listen to what um, uh, 
is, is instructed by Moses in this passage. He says, only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen uh, and so that they do not slip from your heart as long as you live. Now stop right there. This is a moment when Moses is commanding the people of Israel that they are to remember what God has done. They are to remember that God brought them out of Egypt. They are to remember how the Passover lamb covered their lives and protected them from judgment, the blood of the lamb. They are to remember how God brought them through the Red Sea. They are to remember how God fed them manna in the wilderness and gave them fire by night and a cloud by day. They are to remember all of the things that God had done for them. And he says, don't let those things slip from your memory as long as you live. Why? Look at the end of the verse. So that you may teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Do you realize that in the extended family, grandparents, even great-grandparents, sometimes even great-great-grandparents have the privilege of taking what we have learned from the Lord and passing that influence on down, not just to our children, but to their children and to their children. It's one of the great privileges of extended family is the privilege of influence. I urge you to exercise it. And if you are a younger generation with extended family, I urge you to welcome the influence of your parents and grandparents into the lives of your children. It is God's divine plan that we would pass those things down. It's influence. But number two, it's care. God provides through the extended family care for us as we grow Older. Now, I'm going to turn all the way over to the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. If you'd like to turn, I would invite you to meet me there. 1 Timothy chapter number 5. And I want to show you in verse number 4 what Paul instructs Timothy uh, in regarding care of, of uh, aging parents and aging family members. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 4. He says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren. Now the King James says nephews, but it, it means descendants, it's grandchildren. But if, if any widow has children or grandchildren, so what do you have? You have a, a, a wife whose husband is deceased and her children are grown, even having produced grandchildren. Let them, that's the children and the grandchildren, first show piety or godliness at home and to requite or to recompense their parents. For this is good and acceptable before God. Did you hear what that verse just said? He said that, that as we grow older, we have the responsibility of caring for our aging parents and grandparents, particularly if that aging mother or grandmother is a widow. He says in verse number five that we are to repay our parents, that we are to recompense them or uh, for what they have done in raising us. It's one of the great privileges of our lives. Let me challenge you. In your extended family, begin to make this a habit. I want to see ways in which I can care for those in my family that are growing older. Don't discard them. Don't forget about them. Don't let somebody else take, take responsibility. You have a great privilege to do that. A few years ago, when my son-in-law was wanting to marry my youngest daughter... Um, one of the questions that I asked, I didn't ask him, I just asked around, but one of the questions that I, I wanted to know the answer to was, how does he treat his mother? 
What's his relationship like with his mother? Because you can tell a lot about a man by the way he cares for his mother. And I was very blessed to see that Maverick loves his mother and gives great care for her. And uh, that was very influential in my willingness to allow him to marry my daughter. The point is, we are, we are compelled in Scripture to care for those uh, in our extended family. Now that leads us in this same passage to the third aspect of biblical family, which is, write this down, the family of God, or we would say the church family. Because in a very real way, we in the body of Christ are family, right? And in this series, we're really talking about the nuclear family, the extended family, but we ought to also recognize that within the body of Christ, we are a family. Still in 1 Timothy 5, and verse 1, Paul writes to Timothy about how that within the church we are brothers and, and sisters. Look at verse 1. He says, Do not rebuke an elder, but entreat your elders, the, the men who are older, as fathers, and the younger men as your brothers. The elder women within the church you are to treat as your mothers, and the younger women as your sisters in all purity. He says, In the church, we're family. And this is the reason we say brother and sister. It's the reason that we speak to one another uh, in family terms. You know, Jesus said the same thing in the Gospels. He said, he who does the will of my father in heaven, that's my brother. That's my sister. Uh, That's my mother, my father. So we really are the family of God. The church is the family of God made up of nuclear families all joined together within this larger sense of the family of God. And here's what's true. That for some of you, the church is your only family. Like for some people, they don't have a mother or father living. Their grandparents are all gone. They don't have a a spouse. They, they, They don't have children. They have no one in their lives. And for them, the church is their family. And we ought to recognize that and minister to them accordingly. In fact, this is what chapter 5 of 1 Timothy and verse number 3 speaks of when it says, honor the widows that are widows indeed. Honor the widows that have no one else to care for them. So there's the nuclear family, there's the extended family, and then we ought to understand the family of God as well. Now, we also should recognize that very often, very, very often, Due to circumstances that maybe were unforeseen through uh, death or divorce or other circumstances that come about, sometimes families look differently, maybe differently than we would have ever expected that they would look. And so we might think in terms of a single parent family where you have a mother or a father and children, but there's there's no spouse there uh, in that family, maybe because a, a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife has passed away or because of divorce, but it's a single parent family. And then there are blended families uh, where you have a second marriage. And so you have kind of a Brady Bunch family where a second marriage brings children into the family and you have stepbrothers and stepsisters and, and, uh, and a blended family situation. Sometimes families are childless. So a man and a woman married, that's a family, whether they have children or not, of course. That, that is a family unit. Some people choose to have no children. Some people um, are unable to conceive children. But in any case, that is a family as well. But whatever the exact makeup of your family, the question is, 
how can you build that home in a way that will give you the greatest likelihood to live happily ever after and that will bring the greatest glory to God? Well, that's our, that's our agenda is to answer that question over these eight weeks. And today I just want to introduce it to you out of Proverbs chapter 4. So let me go back there and read this passage to you and then we will just uh, look at it quickly. And, uh, and we will be finished. So Proverbs chapter number four, beginning in verse number three. You follow along, please, as I read. Proverbs chapter four, verse three. Solomon writes, For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let your heart retain my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget it. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing, the first thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all of your getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when you embrace her. She shall give to your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver unto you. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years that the years of your life shall be many. Would you allow me that the years of your family life shall be many? I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. When you go, your steps will not be hindered, and when you run, you shall not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Do not let her go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Or again, if you would allow me, she is the life of your family. Now, by the way, did you notice in this this passage in the first few verses that you have represented both the nuclear family, Solomon, Bathsheba, and their son, and you also have here the extended family. Because the verse in verse 3 speaks about Solomon teaching his son, but what does he say in verse number 10? He is speaking of, of uh, what he received from his father and passed on to his son. Verse number 3, I was my father's son, Solomon says, referring to David. I was beloved by my mother, Bathsheba, and we were a unit. But my father had taught me, in verse 10, he says, now my son, I am passing on to you what David, my father, gave to me, I am passing to you. What David and what God through my father taught me, I am now teaching you. Verse 4, listen to my words. Cling to this commandment and live, if I could, live happily ever after if you will embrace these truths that I have received. In these verses, Solomon repeats to his son what his father had taught him. and That was the superlative of wisdom and understanding. You'll see it in verse 5 when he says, get wisdom, get understanding. He says these things are important. Verse 7, he says, in fact, wisdom is not just important. Wisdom is the principal thing. It's the most important thing. And in verse number 7, in all of your getting and all of your acquiring and all of your gathering wealth and possessions, don't leave off wisdom. Get wisdom with all of your getting. You cannot get through this life, 
Solomon would say. Without wisdom and understanding, you cannot build the family that you want to build without wisdom and understanding. Do y'all remember the old American Express commercial? I only remember it from when I was a kid. I don't even know if they use this slogan anymore. But do you remember it said, American Express, don't leave home without it. Do you remember that? Well, Solomon would say, wisdom and understanding, don't build a family without them. Don't launch out into building a family or try to establish a home without having wisdom or understanding. These two words are used in this passage almost interchangeably, but not quite. It's not that they're interchangeable as much as it is that wisdom and understanding are two sides of the same coin understanding, when he speaks of getting and holding on to understanding, the word literally means perception, to perceive or to gain insight or to know what is true. Understanding is a knowledge, a perception, an insight into what is true. I need understanding of what is true and right. But wisdom is a little bit different. Wisdom is aptitude with the truth. Here's another way to say it. Wisdom is the skillful application of what I know to be true. So when I put these two things together, if I'm going to build a family, I need to do it with wisdom and with understanding. Understanding is I need to know what is true and then I need to apply what is true into my experience of building my family. Now, you know that when you build something, you oftentimes wear gloves. I brought some of my nasty gloves from home, so forgive me for such a crude illustration. But if you're going to build something, you need, you need a good pair of, of gloves, all right? And if you're going to build a family, you need two gloves. On the one hand, you need wisdom. You need to be certain that the knowledge on this hand is being rightly applied with the wisdom of this hand. On the other hand, you need the knowledge of the Word of God, the knowledge of what is right and what is true. And so every person, every husband, every wife, every family, every couple, every mother, every father, every person who's building a home needs on the one hand to bring truth and knowledge and understanding to that process, but then they need to bring wisdom, aptitude with knowledge, bring wisdom to that process and carefully let wisdom and understanding partner in building up the home that will bring glory to God. Does that make sense? You need to have wisdom and knowledge. And so you should be asking, where can I get the gloves? If this is wisdom and this is knowledge, where do I get is there like a spiritual Lowe's store where I can go and get wisdom and understanding? Well, I'm glad you asked the question, so let me answer it for you in, uh, in five ways. I'm going to do this really, really quickly. I'm going to give you five things that the Bible teaches us about gaining wisdom and knowledge. All right, here we go. Number one, wisdom and understanding grows, these things grow out of reverence for God. Wisdom and understanding grows out of reverence for God. Let me read to you Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 7. The fear of the Lord or reverence, worship of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you want to know where it starts, it begins with reverence for God. 
If you want to build a family with wisdom and knowledge, here's where you begin. Listen carefully. You begin by saying, Lord, you are the source of all knowledge. You created the family. You defined the roles. You assigned the purpose. Marriage and family is your creation, not mine. And so I need you, Lord, to guide me in this process. This is a humility with which we say, God, you know what's right. You know how to do this. I'm a rookie. I don't know how to do it. And I'm asking you to give me wisdom and understanding. Do you know who it is that you can teach nothing? It is the person who thinks they know everything. And we need to approach family life with a humility. It says, God, you created the family. You know how it should be built. And I want to follow you. The second thing about wisdom and understanding is that it's gained by pursuit. In other words, you have to want to have it. You have to desire it. I love in this passage that Solomon likens wisdom and understanding to two things. To a commodity that you would seek to acquire in all your getting, in all of your gathering of wealth, and going after these valuable commodities, don't forget wisdom. Wisdom is the greatest commodity. You need that, that possession if you're going to build life correctly. He says, in all of your getting, get this precious commodity of wisdom and understanding. And then he also, secondly, likens wisdom to a wife that is treasured and that is to be held on to. Over and over he says this, verse 6, verse 8, verse 9, verse 13. He calls wisdom and understanding her and she. She will keep you. Hold to her. Cherish her like a wife that you would cherish. Wisdom is, uh, begins to grow in our lives out of reverence for God. And then we gain it as we desire it. We pursue it. Number three, wisdom is gleaned from the scriptures. The Bible is the source of wisdom. The Bible is God's truth to us, and it teaches us what is right and how to apply what is true. Look at the opposite page from where you currently are looking at the text. Look at chapter 2 and verse number 6. He says, For the Lord gives wisdom out of his mouth. Uh, Lord gives wisdom. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. If you want to know what's right and true and how to apply it in your life, then you will get that information from God's word. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, um, that the scriptures are able to make you wise. In fact, one of the most convicting things that Jesus ever said was this, you do err not knowing the scriptures. The mistakes that we make, we often make because we don't know the word and we haven't gleaned the wisdom from the word. Number four, wisdom and understanding are sharpened by experience. We all know this, that as we live life, as we go through experiences, as we encounter difficulties and valleys and mountain peaks and everything in between, we grow in wisdom. Job said this, and Job surely had deeply painful and meaningful experiences in his life, and he said wisdom is with the aged. And understanding is in length of days. Here's what's true. The older we grow, the wiser we become, or the wiser we should be becoming because we've experienced some things. I hate to mention another commercial, but do you remember that commercial? I don't really watch that much TV, but do you remember that commercial? Which It's an insurance commercial that says, uh, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. And so it is in wisdom. We endure some things, we go through some things, and we grow 
and wisdom. And then fifthly, wisdom and understanding are increased through prayer. Sometimes we need wisdom in a situation and we haven't lived long enough to have the wisdom. We don't have the experience. And so the Bible gives us a great promise in James 1 in verse 5. It says, if any among you lacks wisdom, do you? Do you need more wisdom and understanding in how to build your family or to rebuild your family? He says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He's the source of wisdom of the ages. Ask him. He knows the answers. If you lack wisdom, ask God who gives to all men generously without reproach, and it will be given. And so listen to me, family builders, those of you who long to have wisdom and understanding to put to the work, humbly ask the Lord Humbly ask the Lord to show you how to build your family and seek his wisdom with all that you have. Search the scriptures. Ask those who are a few years down the road from you who have gained some wisdom and ask the Lord to help you and to give you wisdom that is even beyond your years. And if you will do that, you will have the blessing of building your family according to God's blueprint or to rebuilding that family. Let me close by suggesting to you the difference that these things will make in our families. How will our families be different if we will begin, if we will go to this basis of wisdom and understanding and begin from there? Number one, jot this down. The Bible promises in Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 6, that wisdom will protect our families. It's a beautiful verse in verse number 6. He says, forsake her not, that's wisdom, understanding, forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. He says if we will not forsake wisdom, if we won't relinquish wisdom, but rather if we will love her and endear ourselves to wisdom, then wisdom will step into our experience and create this guard. When it says preserve and keep, it means to set a guard around you. Like a divine police officer. Stepping into your family experience and guarding you from things that otherwise might destroy that family. If you will seek wisdom and hold tight to her, then it will preserve and protect our families. The second thing that Proverbs 4 promises is that wisdom will reward our families. This is verses 8 and 9, and it's almost too good to be true, it would seem. But it's, it's a beautiful promise. Verse number 8, exalt her and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when you embrace her. So she shall give to your head an ornament of grace and a crown of glory shall she deliver unto thee. He says if we will embrace wisdom in how we build our families, that those families that we are building, they will not be perfect. No family is perfect. But as we build them according to wisdom, then those families will be exemplary, bringing honor to God and being exemplary to other people. It says that she will bring you honor, put a crown of of glory upon your head or an ornament of grace. These things speak of winning the battle, winning the victory. And then lastly, if we will build our families on the basis of wisdom and understanding, the promise is that wisdom will prolong our family life. Wisdom will prolong our family life. How many families have been shipwrecked? Because of a lack of wisdom. How how many families, having begun once upon a time with such hope of living happily ever after, 
because of poor choices, because of foolish living, because of a lack of knowledge or understanding. Those families have ended up shipwrecked on the side of the road of life. And yet wisdom could have made the difference. I love verse number 10. Hear, O my son, receive my sayings, and the years of your life shall be many. The, the years of your family life, if I could say it that way, shall be many. Verse 13, take hold of her, of, take hold of instruction, let her not go. Keep her, for she is your life. Verse number 12, when you go forward in building your family, your steps will not be, be hindered. Your, when you run, you will not stumble. For wisdom, verse 13, is your life. Build God's way. Can I just say to you what all of us know to be true? We know it either by positive experience or by negative experience. We know it because the word of God tells us this. And just intrinsically we know this. It is that God's ways are the best ways. And when we build our family in God's way, then that is the best family that we can build. But I need to close by saying something that's very important for all of you on all campuses to hear me say. It is that a family that is broken in some way or a family that is simply broken is not necessarily evidence of a lack of wisdom on all counts. Because you can do everything right and someone in that family make unwise decisions that can put you and your family in a place that you would have never intended to be. But even in that situation, God is gracious and God is merciful and he rebuilds the broken places. And if we will respond wisely, even in the midst of those broken situations, we can experience the grace of God in ways that we could never have even imagined. There are no perfect families. And every family has its struggles and its hurts and its hang-ups. But may God give us grace over these next few weeks to learn how to build wisely. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave the entire sermon and then the last thing he said was this. He said, now he who hears my words and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock and the wind blew and the rain came and the floods rose, but the house stood because it was founded upon a rock. If you want to build a family that will stand, regardless of the struggles of life, regardless of the hardships, or a life that will stand even if someone implodes the relationships that you're trying to build, know this, God's ways are best. And so always follow them.